young junk you sad like making big mistakes I feel like for the first time in a long time I am not afraid I feel like a kid never thought it feel like this like when I close my Romans chapter 8. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give you life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your of the sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Yet we do not suffer, excuse me, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting for that future day when God will reveal who he is is or who his children really are against his against its will all creation was subjected to god's curse but with eager hope the creation looks forward to the day it'll join god's children in glorious freedom from death and decay and the holy spirit helps us in our weakness For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father knows all hearts what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, for that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, Who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
Won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. <clears throat> Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Thank you, Karen. Good morning, everyone. I hope you got the chance to hear that and hear it to its fullest. It is such a powerful and impactful passage of Scripture, one that I don't think I spend enough time in, but what about you? Would you pray with me? Father, could we actually hear your word today and hear it in a way that would change our mind, to change our relationships, to change our um, relationship with you? God, take aside anything that is causing distraction and help us to hear what we need to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thinking about what can separate us from the love of Christ, I was reminded that uh, it was a Tuesday morning uh, about two months ago, and the kids had gotten off to school, Michelle had already left for work, and so I sat down, it was about 8 o'clock, sat down at my home office to start my first few hours at my desk trying to get a ton of things done, and I looked over and I saw our passports sitting there in a stack right on the edge of the desk, and the reason they were there is because for the last two weekends we'd been packing and planning all of our organizing every single uh, piece of equipment and belongings that we were going to bring on this trip that we'd been planning for over a year. And so I just happened to look over at them, and I want to say it's the Spirit of God, and I noticed, you know, our five passports, and so I looked in each one, and I, of course, looked at mine last because I didn't really need to look at my picture, but, you know, it's just actually saying thanks to God about getting to go on this trip that we'd been saving for and planning for and looking at each person's photo. And then I looked at mine and realized date of issue and date of expiration and uh, February 2020, 2019, and it's now March 2019th. And so I knew that my family loved me and they would leave me behind. It's five days before we're going to go on vacation, and you need four to six weeks to get a passport. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I'm like, how in the world am I going to fix this? How can I, how can I do this without my wife knowing? Because I really believe that she will send me away, uh, send me home, and be like, tough luck. You know, when we went and got our passports in August, uh, Everyone needed them except for one of our daughters who had already gone out of the country. And you looked at yours, and you're like, oh, yeah, mine doesn't expire for a year. 
So I'm fine, because in 2018, 2019 was a year away. I didn't pay attention, so... I raced down to the Dakota County Licensing Center and was fortunate enough to have a government worker there that was smiling and there was only one person in line and I put on like all the winning others over that I could. Excuse me. I brought our itinerary. I brought all our passports. I brought our plane tickets. I'm like, okay, look, you don't understand. Like my family is going on this trip whether I like it or not and I need a passport and my, here, look, look at everything. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do. Are you serious? She's like, I am. But there is a whole government agency downtown that's like, that exists for expedited passports. If you just go downtown and here, I'll show you what to do. So she gave me the paper. She told me where to call. There are two appointments left in that day. And by golly, I got one of them. <sighs> And I didn't have to tell her until we were already on the trip. <laughs> I don't know if I was more scared about uh, doing the work to get the passport or more scared that I was just going to be left alone. But in that moment, I needed an advocate. I needed someone that had authority and information that I didn't have. And today, when we think about how what it means to live life in the Holy Spirit and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to think about that image, that advocate that can do something for me. Because really, with a passport, we have authority to travel in and out of our country in a way that you know, other, other people would love to have. I think sometimes, though, if we're really honest, we, we struggle with this idea of being dependent or this idea of it being hard. And um, I think, if we're really honest, we want what Xfinity has coined. Simple, easy, awesome. <laughs> now, what about you? Like, when you think about in your heart of hearts, do you just want things to be simple? Like, you just want to know what to do. Or do you want it to be easy? Like, you don't want to have to struggle or suffer. Or do you want it to be awesome? Meaning, I want it to be significant. I want to be amazing. I'm probably that one the most. And, and truly, that day, I just wanted the easy button from Staples. Like, okay, how do I get the passport? Like, if it's just a matter of paying for it, okay. But there was a little more than that. I thought uh, Amy Day shared an amazing thing with our online community this week. If you didn't get a chance to reason, read the news and notes, it, it is absolutely ties in with what we're talking about this morning. Amy was reflecting on being a new mother a long time ago, and she said, I thought I knew how to be a good mother because I had two much younger siblings, and I had cousins, and I had a previous nanny job. And yet, instead, as a new mother, I was constantly bombarded with responsibility, and I was irritated when I was exhausted, which, if you're a new mother, is, I guess, all the time. And so she prayed and prayed and prayed for God to help her so that she could stop being so negative, and he didn't answer that prayer. Instead, he showed her what it meant to be filled with his love. See, Amy learned it wasn't about acquiring new skills and then trying harder on your own. It was about living by the power of the Spirit. And today, 
I think in Romans 8, we see that this empowered life with the Holy Spirit is far better than the easy life on our own, as much as some of us would like it easy. Jesus, when he was speaking, recorded by John and Paul in his letter to the Romans, show us two huge reasons why this empowered life is better. When Jesus rose from the dead after his resurrection in Luke 24, he says, and now I'm going to send the Holy Spirit just as the Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. See, the Holy Spirit isn't just this mysterious force. The Holy Spirit is tangible power for a new life. Romans 8 says it this way, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you who believe in Christ. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same living spirit with spirit living in you. Now, I don't know how often you talk about your spirit or the spirit living in you. Some people say, like when I'm in conversation, that they have a spirit inside of them or that my whatever I'm doing is messing with their spirit. Um, some people say, like, oh, I made this decision, and when I ask a question about it, they'll go, I don't know, I just felt right in my spirit. A uh, few others, they're usually younger, but a few other people say that, you know, they like to talk to me about their spirit animal. I don't know if you have one or if you've heard that before, but, you know, there's, that's not the spirit we're talking about. This Holy Spirit is unique to our spirit and those spirits. But this concept of the Holy Spirit living in you, if you would have been living at the time of Jesus' resurrection, this would have been a brand new concept, that the Spirit would be in you. Because God, in the Old Testament, rarely placed his Spirit in someone. He did in uh, Exodus 35, when Israel had gone out of Egypt and was in the desert, and God was giving them plans to construct this place, this sanctuary or this tabernacle where God's spirit would dwell and they, they could tangibly meet with him. He put his spirit in this guy named Bezalel, and he was like the main architect and artisan of the construction of the temple. God's spirit was in him, it says, but rarely did that happen. Usually, in the Old Testament, much more often, God's Spirit came on someone for a temporary period of time and for a specific purpose. We can see it in Judges 6 when God's Spirit came on Gideon. He blew a trumpet, summoned his clan of people to follow him, and then sent messages to the rest of Israel for them to all assemble as well. We see it in Judges 14 where the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on uh, Samson, another judge, and he tore apart a lion with his bare hands. I, I know, right? I'm not sure why. They, you know, the, the message goes on to say, he tore apart a lion with his bare hands like one would tear a young goat with their bare hands. So, um, I don't know what to do with that. So we're just going to skip it. <laughs> and in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel took, Samuel's a prophet. God tells him to go and anoint the next king and Eventually, he finds David, and Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed David in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. But again, there's many more places, but the point is, in each of these, it's this idea of the Spirit coming on someone, but it's different than the Spirit being in someone or within someone. But see, when Jesus was living, when Jesus was doing his ministry, when he was teaching at the temple one time in John 7, he said, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures declare, will have streams of living water will flow from within them. 
And John says, by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. But up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. See, this this spirit is a power that can make dead things alive again. Not, I mean, ultimately Christ, but actually then things in our life as well. We see that over and over. John, or Jesus told his disciples in John 14 that the world cannot accept this spirit because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. See, the Holy Spirit living within you versus near you is maybe best described as by picturing these two large trees. They're both have these huge branches, fine leaves. One is tall and upright. Its roots go down into deep soil. It's planted by a stream that's flowing. And so it has exactly what a plant needs. It has sunlight. It has water. It has nutrients from the soil. The second tree is also strong and tall, but it is horizontal. A storm blew it over, its roots lay exposed. And so while it can still get sunlight through its leaves, it has one of the three things it needs, it's going to struggle to absorb any water since its roots lay open and ultimately can't get any nutrients. I think that's how some of us live. We have one aspect of God, but we are not thriving in his spirit, soaking in that nutrients, reaching in and getting that water, and living in the vibrancy of God's son. Because we do need rest and food and water to survive as humans, but we need so much more than that to actually live as his followers. We ultimately need the power of the resurrection. So, As you think about this power for a new life, think for a moment about something in your life that looks dead. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's one of your most important relationships. The Holy Spirit in you is the power for that relationship to become alive again. The Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth, Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells us that too. Maybe it's hope for the future. There's something that you've been seeing or dreaming and you're just not sure if it can come to fruition. The Holy Spirit in you is the power that guides your way. It's power for a new life. But it's more than that. It's also an advocate for a new family. The Holy Spirit is an advocate for a new family. When Jesus says it to his disciples in John 14 again, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who will guide you into all truth. Jesus then says, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Don't have to worry about being an unaccompanied minor on a plane. God goes with you. He says it very similar when Paul tells it to the Romans in Romans 8. He says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You haven't received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received a spirit that when you were adopted by God as his children, we can call him Abba, Father, as Mary said last week, Dad, God. 
and our spirit joins, his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're God's children. And if we are his children, we are his heirs. So for some of you, this might be a little harder, but I want you to think back to a time where you were afraid as a child, especially as a young child. I used to think there were crocodiles under my bed. Um, so when my parents shut off the lights, they would come out like hungry hippos. If you remember the hungry hippos, they would. And so I would run from the edge of my room and then, you know, four or five feet away, or it felt like four or five feet when I was, you know, six, dive onto my bed. Usually I ended up with a bruise because my bed was next to the wall and my, you know, I'd roll and my parents would be like, you don't have to do that. I'm like, yes, I do. There's, there's stuff under my bed. And then they would tell me something that wasn't helpful. But <clears throat> I love my parents. They did the best they could. Maybe it was being afraid of the dark. Remember what your parents would say? Most often I think they would say, it's okay, you don't have to worry. Mom is here. You don't have to be afraid. Dad's here. Somehow the presence of a parent who cares was enough to dispel any of the fear. See, we grow up and then some of us mature, but we still have these fears. And I think we can most clearly see these fears in the uh, famous story. You probably have heard it, but it's okay if you haven't. It's in John 15, and it's the story that we often call the prodigal son. There's this son that comes to his father and demands his inheritance, which at minimum is like saying, or at maximum is saying, I wish you were dead. But at minimum is saying, I care more about your money or your stuff than relationship with you. And his father gives it and he leaves. And it says that he goes and he spends recklessly, wild living. And then when the son comes to his senses, well, even before the son comes to his senses, let's think about why he left. Because we don't exactly know why he left. But could it have been that he was afraid of expectations responsibility, or accountability? Again, we don't know, but I know that there are many adults that are afraid of those things. Expectations, responsibility, and accountability. But I think we can see that he is afraid of re reuniting with his family. Because Jesus says it like this. He says, when the younger son came to his senses, he said to himself, what am I doing? All of my father's servants have plenty of food to eat, and here I am starving to death. So I know what I'll do. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as one of your hired servants. For some reason, this son didn't feel like he could come back into his family, but that being a servant near that family would be better than being alone. I think some of us have that kind of a relationship with God. We're like, well, if we could just get forgiveness, then we could have, you know, we could be one of his servants. Maybe the son just wanted forgiveness. But what he got was acceptance. And when, when he returned to his father, while well, he was still a long way off, the father saw him. And when he saw him, he had compassion and love for him. And he ran to his son. He embraced him. He kissed him. 
And, he, and, and the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And he couldn't even finish the sentence because the father said, quick to his servants, bring the finest robe, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, kill the calf that we've been fattening for the next party. We're having a feast today because the son of mine was dead and he's now alive. The son who was lost is now found and the party began. See, some of us say that we understand who Jesus is, but we're not living with his power and with his presence. Maybe we're just hoping for his forgiveness. Like, I could just get somewhat close to him, but, but what God offers us as an advocate for a new family is access to the Heavenly Father, the King of the universe, and acceptance into that family and authority as one of his children. See, if we have acceptance in God's family, then the Holy Spirit just isn't power. The Holy Spirit is a person who's assuring us of our place in the family. Maybe you grew up in a family where there was lots of siblings, and when one of them did well, it was like you felt like you were less than. Or you always felt like you had to fight for a place in your family. God never has to have you fight for a place. He always has time for you. In fact, that's the access that we have. God says in 2 Corinthians 6.18, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. Always. Romans says our spirit joins with his spirit. His spirit comes to our spirit to affirm that we're God's children, that we have a place in his family. Do you know today that you have a place in God's family? And you have access to the Heavenly Father who wants to hear from you, who's never too busy for you, always, always is available to make time for you. He's the creator of time. Isaiah 43 says it this way, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you, and I have summoned you by name. You are mine. We don't just have this authority. We have access and acceptance. But we do have an authority that's given to us by the God of heaven. It's like the father who puts the robe on his son to designate his place, who puts the ring on his finger that gives him that authority as a family member. That is the authority that God gives us. Since you are his children, you are his heirs. The king of the universe and his son, the prince of peace. This is a royal family. Not just with responsibility, but with power, influence, and authority. So God really, really does want to give us that acceptance, access, and authority. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's not just power. It's an advocate. And it's kind of like this new family is kind of like what a group of sixth graders experienced from Harlem. It was 1981. It was June. And this guy named Eugene Lang was returning to his Harlem Elementary School that he graduated from 53 years earlier. So if you do the math, 1981, uh, this would be like 1928. And in the 1920s in Harlem, the schools were so congested, so overcrowded, that they had to do school twice. They had double sessions, which meant you only went to school for half the day. Now imagine all your peers around you in neighboring schools. They get to go for a whole day. You only get to go for a half day. If you get to learn at the same rate because you have the same ratios, you know, then maybe you're getting half of the stuff. Not only that, um, 
but the elementary schools and the junior high schools remained at or over capacity for the next 10 years because the Board of Education failed to keep up with the pace of the growing population and then the depression cut education funding. And so by 1935, the conditions in these schools had just deteriorated so, so poorly. The investigators went in and found that the principal's room was an old dilapidated desk with two chairs, one of which was broken, Shoes for kids who didn't have any were strewn across the back of his office and a corner of dirty clothes were stacked, old clothes were stacked in the corner in case kids didn't have the right clothes. It was unbelievably challenging. And yet, somehow Eugene Lang had made it out of there, actually become a successful businessman and made millions of dollars. And he comes back and even though the children are still poor and the dropout rates were among the highest in the nation, he went back to just love these kids for the standard sixth grade graduation day speech. He talked about working hard, studying, going to college. He said, this is the perfect day to dream. Dream of what you want to be, the kind of life you wish to build, and believe in that dream and work for that dream. And it's important because it's your dream. And he looked out and none of the students were paying attention. The statistics, the economics, and the history argued against everything he was saying. So it just felt empty, like empty words. And so he changed his speech right in that moment. He said, you must study, you must learn, you must attend junior high school, high school, and college. And if you stay in school, I'll, I'll, I'll pay for your college. Every one of you will get a college scholarship. After some stunned silence, there was this wave of emotions that came through and this excitement that came in. And it started this amazing movement, not just for those 61 sixth graders, but for 12,000 students to attend college. Eugene Lang had recruited 200 additional sponsors to start this scholarship fund. And then he helped the school prepare these students for college. He hired tutors. He gave them extra classes to give them the best chance, not just to make it to college, but to make it through college. That's the kind of access that you and I have in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have a Eugene, someone better than Eugene Lang that says, you're mine. You're part of my family. You don't think you can do it on your own? You were never meant to do it on your own. You were always meant to live in the power and the access and the authority to the Holy Spirit. Imagine what could happen if you did that. I don't think we need the easy life. I think we need the empowered life. And so to show you what it looks like today, I've invited some friends to just share a short story about how the Holy Spirit's been working in their life. So, um, Amy Zafke, you had a story of which the Holy Spirit's been working in your life. And my prayer is for these four people to just inspire you of what it would look like in your life. Hi, I'm Amy. Uh, a few years ago, Rob was doing, I don't know if I should stand up here, Rob was doing a message 
similar, talking about, but stepping out and saying yes. Where was the Lord asking us to say yes to maybe something that was scary or out of the norm? And so he had us pray, and so I was being quiet, and I was like, Lord, where do you want me to say yes? And he gave me this picture of a friend of mine that I've known since grade school, and she um, had had a miscarriage around the same time we had our first, and then had been struggling from infertility for about a year and a half after that. And I felt like the Lord was like, I want you to go to her house, lay your hands on her womb, and pray healing. And I was like, uh, I've done things like that before, but I'm like, this is a friend I've known for a really long time. She's traditional Christianity, but I don't know how she'd feel about that. But Rob had just talked about saying yes to something that's scary. So I was like, okay. So I reached out to her. She's like, yeah, come on over. I didn't tell her about that yet. I was like, I'm going to come visit you. And so... Uh, and then that day I was like, okay, I'm going to like look up scriptures and be ready and everything. And I just got too busy. I was just too busy at work. So I'm driving out to Belle Plain to see her. And I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm just going to show up. I don't haven't prepared anything. I'm just going to show up. So I get there. You know, we're talking, we're hanging out. And then I'm like, Katie, can I pray for you? Like for, you know, your infertility. And she's like, yeah, yeah, sure. And I was like, do you mind if I like put my hand on your stomach? Is that okay? And she's like, yeah, yeah sure. Okay. Uh, so I prayed. I don't remember what I prayed. I just asked the Lord to open her womb. I asked for healing. Um, nothing special happened. It didn't feel like someone was in the room or anything. I was like, okay, well, you know, have a great day. And I left. Um, six to eight weeks later, I'm not kidding, she sent me a text message with a picture of the ultrasound. Uh, so I was bawling, right? And so then the next time I saw her, some months later, I said, you know, wow, it's like, it doesn't seem coincidental what happened there. And she's like, oh no, Amy, we've done the math. We ovulated that day. So <laughs> pretty amazing. Um, but I think what's cool about it is it's not me showing up. And I really believe that the Lord would have brought um, opening to her womb in some way, right? But what was cool is me saying yes, I got to be a part of it. I got to see it. I got to be a part of something cool. So, Thanks, Amy. Yeah. Hey, praise God. Praise God. I, I love that. Showing up. The Holy Spirit does the rest. Leanne, you had a way that God had been working as well. Okay. Well, I might have misinterpreted what I was supposed to talk about, so here we go. But it <laughs> Um, what I was praying about is uh, sharing ways that what it looks like to live a Holy Spirit empowered life and what as I prayed through that what came to mind was sharing about a mistake because I find that often um, living a spirit empowered life is allowing the Holy Spirit to teach me through my weaknesses and my mistakes so I two years ago I had left my job as a social worker to go to Kenya. And when I came back, I had no idea what was next for me. So I was in a long period of um, trying to discern what God had. And in prayer, I kept think, feeling like God was telling me, don't get a job, which is crazy. So hold that for a moment. So then that was the summer of the full solar eclipse. And um, the night before the eclipse was supposed to happen, or the day before, my friend Kelly and I decided on a whim, let's just go see this thing. So we packed up our car with our tent, we drove to Iowa, camped the night, and then got up early the next day and just picked a small town on the map in the path of this eclipse. And um, we found a park, a whole bunch of people gathered, and we had about two hours to kill before the eclipse was going to come. 
and I'm watching my phone because weather is very important in these things, and I'm seeing that there's this path of clouds that looks like it's going to come right for us, thunderstorms, clouds. So Kelly and I are sitting there trying to decide, like, should we just pick up and move to a different location? And I thought, well, it would be a good idea to just pray and ask God what we should do. And I felt like God said, just stay put. So the peaceful thing to do would have been to put my phone aside and stay put, right? Enjoy the experience, but that is not at all what I did. I was on my phone. I'm like, oh, my God, this thing is coming closer and closer. And 20 minutes before it was supposed to pass, um, I'm now in a super anxious state. And I'm like, Kelly, we still have, like, 20 minutes. Do you think we should drive? Because we could probably get 20 miles out and maybe hit the where the clouds aren't covered. Meanwhile, the... I'm still hearing this voice just saying, just stay put. So reluctantly, I was like, okay, this is madness. It's too late now. I might as well just stay where we are and we get what we get. Great faith, right? <laughs> so as God does, he just blessed the experience. And it was like the clouds parted. We saw the full solar eclipse. And the side benefit of clouds was like there was this weird, mysterious thing that looked like a sunset, even though the sun wasn't setting. Now, I'm telling you, if you, sidebar, I'm going long, I'm so sorry. If you ever get a chance to see a solar eclipse, do it. Like, it was way cooler than I thought it was going to be. It was awesome. And it put me in this state of just, like, serious worship in awe of the majesty of God. And that time of worship flowed into a time of repentance because um, I was seeking to control my environment rather than just quietly submitting to the voice of God. And that little experience, as the Holy Spirit does, turned out to be what kept me through this crazy path of joblessness. Because instead of trying to seek and control my environment, I was able to just quietly submit to the voice of God, which led to this amazing story that maybe I'll tell another time about how joblessness was cool. That was awesome. Perfect, Leanne. Thank you. Uh, Ephesians 5.18 says, uh, Do not be drunk with wine, or do not be under the influence of a substance, but be filled and under the influence of the Holy Spirit, which is what you were living. So, Aaron, you have a pretty recent story, right? Yeah. Share. So, mine is still... Um, coming to fruition, but about a year ago, I um, was looking for a place to have a personal retreat, and I just couldn't find anything that I really wanted because I just couldn't. It just didn't match up, and nothing moved me, and part of it was I didn't want to be alone because I get lost in myself very easily, so um, I had this idea that I would open up this house for women to come and have community and be together, and it would be amazing. It would be like a bed and breakfast for women and just great stuff, and then I was like, whoa, you can't, that cannot happen. You are not in the position for that. So I put it aside and just was like, well, maybe one day. But I kept hearing this voice, like, you don't have to do it that big. You don't have to go there, but you can do something. And so um, I just kind of kept pushing it aside because I'm like, this is not the time, but it kept coming back. And um, I talked to some of my friends and just like, how, how do you know when it's the Holy Spirit talking to you? And it, the answer was pray. And so I prayed a lot and God showed me this beautiful image of 
uh, just women gathering in different rooms and just gave me this whole entire vision of what it would be. And I thought, that's it. I need to host a women's retreat and start there and just kind of start with women's ministry there. And so um, talking with some friends, I found a place, I walked in, and I was in awe of what God did because that was it. It was amazingly beautiful. That was it. And so um, I booked a date, September 28th. And it's in process, and I'm very excited. Aaron, I love that. Aaron uh, reached out and asked um, the leadership team if we could use some of the money from the Holy Spirit Fund to say yes to this. And um, we hope to have an answer real soon. But what I loved about it was um, that Aaron stepped out in faith without knowing what the answer was. That's living by the power of the Holy Spirit. That when you say, here I am, God, we're saying, I'm in, even though I don't know the answer. That's courageous faith. Uh, Van's going to come up, and Jordan's going to share one, too. Morning. Um, I'm a type 1 diabetic, and a couple years ago, I had some complications, and uh, my organ function was not well, and... Uh, it was a difficult time. I just felt fatigued and generally pretty miserable. And it went on for about five months. And at the beginning of it, I just gave it to the Lord. And I was like, Lord, I know you're already out ahead of this. And I'm living in faith that you are already seeing this through and it's taken care of. That time went by and it was the closest I had ever been to the Lord. I, every day it was new affections and new encouragement, just something in scripture or worship that just, I knew God was walking with me, and it was amazing. I started feeling better, my numbers started coming around, and a couple months later, we were going through a new trial where we were facing unemployment and trying to figure out how to pay bills, and we were faced with a big decision that we'd basically already gotten the rental truck ready to go, and we're about to move back to California, and gave it to God, like, Lord, help us make this decision, walk with us in this, and I was just like, God, I need you to like burning bush style tell us exactly what we're going to do because this is too big. Like, I don't want to make the wrong decision. And we gave it to God and we continued to pray and just do our thing. And two weeks went by without hearing anything from the Lord. And all of a sudden, everything had fallen into place. And we could look back and see everywhere where God had cleared the way and God had walked through us the whole way. I just think sometimes... God wants to see us step out in faith and show him our hearts and how we can walk in his faith. I think more importantly, he wants us to see ourselves step out in faith and for him to show us that we can just let go to him. Thank you, Jordan. And I'm so thankful that you and your family are still with us. Jordan hinted at um, what Romans hints at that I, I don't want to take extra time for, but I, I think we need to highlight it because some of you are there. That I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. And I can't compare your sufferings, Jordan, but... This, the way that you described how God so clearly lined things up, I 
pray that that washes over the pain of the suffering that you've experienced. And for you out there that are suffering, know that God is in it. That he's with you. That he's your strength, your power, and your lover. Billy Graham, uh, America's pastor and evangelist through most of the 20th century, said, I'm convinced that to be filled with the Spirit is not an option, but a necessity. It is the Spirit-filled life is not abnormal. It is the normal Christian life. Anything less is subnormal. It's less than what God wants for his children. Therefore, to be filled with the Spirit should never be thought of as unusual or unique for only a select few. It's intended for all, needed by all, and available to all. Father, may we be filled with your spirit. See you in us and see him flowing through us in a way that transforms our life and the lives around us and actually changes the world.